Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing on this Monday morning? Awesome. Awesome. Uh, draft week. Big week for me and you, not just as Alabama guys that are sort of rooting for for Evan and, and Jameson, you know, and, and, and B-Rob and Mechie. Just a great week for all of them. Rooting for them, but the, just the draft itself is uh, so much fun. Uh, and, and I love it. it I, I kind of think of it this way, Clint. I bet you do too. As much as I love college football recruiting, uh, and I do, college football recruiting is 365 days a year, and you can have big news. Any specific, any non-specific day of the year can be big in college football recruiting because your your favorite team gets a commitment or loses a commitment or whatever. But the NFL draft is like a year's worth of college football recruiting, but it all happens in three days. Yep. And players don't get to pick the teams do, which makes it kind of a different dynamic. It's all about, it's not about where your former Alabama player is going to choose to go play in the NFL. It's who is going to choose your former Alabama players. And I think that adds an interesting wrinkle, obviously. I mean, but so what's crazy is that this is considered a pretty big down year for Alabama, as far as the NFL draft is concerned. And yet we're still talking about what two potential first round picks, up to four or five day two picks still plenty. And I think 10 double digit players were kind of expecting to get drafted. I, I did the math the other day. The average during the Saban era is nine. So not nine overall. That's the average, or at least it's been the average since the team has been made up of Nick Saban recruits. Uh, so if you hit nine, it that's an average year. For Alabama, and, and I, I made note of this in one of my uh, stories that nine is Saban's average. Before Nick Saban got to Alabama, the most players we had ever had drafted in the first 250 picks of a draft was six. Saban averages three more than we'd ever had drafted in a single draft. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, so it not as many first round picks. Gonna have to wait till day two on several of these guys. John Mechie, probably Christian Harris, Fedarian Mathis, maybe Brian Robinson. I've seen some Josh Job and some Jalen Armour Davis sneaking in there into the the third round. Don't know if that'll actually end up happening, but then that just means if they don't go in the on day two, they'll probably go on day three along with Slade Bolden. Maybe you get a Chris Owens mixed in there somewhere. But there's gonna be several Alabama players taken. They're going to be one of the teams that actually has the most players drafted. I don't think they'll have the most, obviously. It'll probably be Georgia or somebody else, but they're going to be in that conversation just like they are every year. It's just you don't have the premium talent in the first round that you've had in some of these other draft classes, but that's okay. I just find it interesting that so many people are saying it's such a down year for Alabama as far as NFL players are concerned. And yeah, you know, the first round picks under Nick Saban might go down a little bit or not go down. It's going to go up, but just not at the same pace it has in recent years. But you're going to make up for that with a bunch of day two picks, which are still expected to be contributors and and starters and all those things. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think we've seen some pretty good receivers taken on day two, maybe a DK Metcalf and AJ Brown. John Mechie, I think, could certainly be an NFL starter early in his career. I think Brian Robinson can contribute to a running back room early in his career. Fedarian Mathis, I think, is going to be a very underrated player. I've actually seen him starting to drop a little bit. I thought maybe he could be a fringe first-round pick at one point in time. A lot of the mock drafts and stuff that I've seen, I want to say yesterday I even saw somebody. Who was it? Yeah, it was a a guy on NFL.com, Chad Reuter. He had him dropping all the way to 125. So I thought that was interesting. That's a fourth-round pick. I think third round is kind of his floor. I think second round, late second round is definitely a possibility, and I would certainly put him in that category of an Ashawn Robinson or, or a Jerron Reed or a Dalvin Tomlinson of a guy who goes on day two 
mid day two, um, somewhere in the second round, and then turns out to be an early NFL starter and a pretty good player. So we'll be talking more about that later this week. We'll be doing an NFL draft podcast. Um, we're also tomorrow, and I think it's going to be tomorrow, might be Wednesday, but you and I, we're going to do our own mock draft. And it's not just going to be Alabama players. It's going to be everybody. We're going to go back and forth and kind of mock it out. I, I did a mock draft for Bama on three last week, and I'll be doing one more final one written form on Wednesday. I just don't know if we'll do the podcast tomorrow and go ahead and knock that out just because, you know, cause it's going to look different me just doing it myself. And then you and me, cause I have to react to your decisions and stuff. So it won't be the exact same, but I, do, fun. Oh, I think it will be a lot of fun. I love the idea of going back and forth because sometimes you get in this rhythm, you know, I started to think about it and I'm like, do you really think Jamison? Cause in my first mock draft, I had Jamison falling to number 21 to the new England Patriots. And then you start to say, do you really think he's fallen that far? Or did you just really want to put him in Mac Jones and really want to put him in that Patriots? You know what I'm saying? So well, this, is what we, you, this is what we have to determine before, to tell the people and for ourselves uh, for, for preparation. But there's two different ways to do this. Are we going to do a mock draft based on how we would pick for those teams? If, if, if Clint Lamb was choosing for the Detroit Lions at number two, who would Clint pick? Or are we predicting what will happen like like this is this this isn't who i would pick but this is who i think the falcons are going to take at eight i mean so is it going to be who you would pick or a prediction as to who will be picked see i've always and the, the reason that i like to do it this way i always go with who i think is going to get picked i would do things a little bit differently um than a lot of my mock drafts in the past i just like to on draft night to see okay how many of these were I, was i correct on I, I don't know, you know, I've, I've had kind of a lucky streak in recent um, mock drafts where the beginning of the draft I've gotten, you know, pretty much, I wouldn't say all the top 10 picks correct, but I was in the ballpark with pretty much every team in the top 10. My last mock draft of last year, I had stayed on the Mac Jones is not being taken by the 49ers. I had stayed on that train. I had my flag in the ground all year. And I actually, in a lot of those mock drafts, I had the Patriots trading up. They ended up getting him at 15, but I had the trading up into the top 10 in order to get him. And then finally, there was just so much smoke. It, it was starting to become fire the week of the draft. So my final mock, I, I finally gave in. And I even said, all right, y'all got me. And then I ended up being correct the entire time. So that's what ends up happening. But, you know, I like getting in the heads of NFL teams and seeing, okay, I would do things a certain way, but I, at the same time, I don't know their roster. I don't know the the personalities. It's more so what are they going to do now? Granted, I can approach it a certain way and you can approach it based off of, Hey, this is who no, I would pick. No, no, no. I need, just need to know, are we predicting what's going to happen or substituting our own judgment? Like for instance, the best example, most obvious example is the Jaguars at one. Uh, I think we, we both agree. They're, they're very likely to take, Aiden Hutchinson or Trayvon Walker. I, I think they're going to take one of those two. That's predicting what's going to happen. Me personally, if I was Trent Baalke, if it was Jimmy Stein, the GM, and not Trent Baalke, I would take Evan Neal or uh, Iki Aquanu because yes. I, I would continue to build around Trevor even at the expense of the defense. I, I give Trevor everything he needs to be successful, and then I fix the defense in Trevor's year three and four. Uh, that, that's what I would do. But if I'm predicting what's going to happen, uh, what will actually happen, and I want to be correct, I would take either Hutchinson or, or Trayvon Walker uh, going to the Jags. See what and, I'm saying? Of course, yeah. And, and if a Chase Young caliber, a Miles Garrett caliber of pass rusher, a Will Anderson, if he was available, at that point I would maybe sacrifice the protection to go with right. an elite pass rusher that you know is not only going to be a contributor. Aiden Hutchinson I think is going to be a good player. I think Trayvon Walker – has an extremely high ceiling. I think he could end up in a, I mean, I could see him completely busting out and I could see him being I, one of the best pass rushers in the league, but I would, you know, but neither one of those two guys screams number one overall pick. So in that instance, instead of kind of saying, well, you know, we think technically they're a little bit better of an overall player than Evan Neal or an Iki Aquanu. Personally, I would say with this draft lacking that clear cut number one guy, I'm going with the protection all day and I'm going to build a wall in front of it. Last yep. year, you spent your number one overall pick on Trevor Lawrence, and you've done what you can to help him out as far as bringing in, you know, you tagged Cam Robinson, you brought in Brandon Sharif. You're really uh -huh. trying to build up that offensive line, but I would continue to do that. I would build a wall in front of that guy and say, if this guy fails, it's not going to be because we can't keep him protected, and we make him very skittish, you know, in the pocket and ruin his development early in his career. 
because we didn't do enough as far as putting the talent in front of him. Um, I thought last year the Jaguars would have a pretty good offensive line across the board. You know, Brandon Linder, you know, you had Cam Robinson, you had Jawan Taylor, the former Florida tackle, who I thought was a first-round talent. He fell to the second round a couple of years ago due to some medical concerns. Um, but they had Andrew Norwell, who was a highly you know draft, sought-after free agent a few years before that. I thought across the board they had a pretty good offensive line. I thought A.J. Cam was probably the weak link of that group. But I thought four of the five spots were in pretty good shape. So I thought that Trevor would get adequate protection. He didn't. He stayed uh, under duress the entire season, and he looked very poor. You can't have two seasons of that because then Trevor Lawrence is going to start convincing himself that's who he is, and maybe he can't hack it. It's David Carr at that point. Yep. So, I mean, that's I completely agree with you. If I was doing it, I would take one of the tackles. And I do the guard play. I watched some of the guard film on Aquano. And I'd watched a lot of the tackle tape, and I was very impressed. Him at guard, wow. Uh, He's an incredible talent. I I love Evan Neal. I think he has the highest ceiling of any player in this draft. I think Trayvon Walker, if he hits that ceiling because he's a pass rusher, he'll be the biggest star of the draft. But as far as quality player, future Hall of Fame talent, uh, if Evan Neal hits that ceiling, and I I think he's very capable, I think he's uh, got the highest ceiling of anybody but I also would understand if a team wanted to go with the Quanu after watching a lot of his inside out tape. I've already watched the tackle, been watching the guard, but we spend a lot of time talking about the draft. We'll kick it back to the current roster. We'll be talking more about the NFL draft tomorrow or on Wednesday, whenever we record that mock draft podcast. But for now, uh, Alabama has got a lot of big news going on. We didn't get a chance to talk about it last week. And I thought this week we kind of recap a little bit of the spring, just talk about, Questions that you had that maybe got answered, questions that you had that didn't get answered that you still have going into the summer. And then also, I think the probably what we need to start with is the addition of Tyler Harrell, the receiver from Louisville transferring in. I think it's a big get for Alabama. We've had some conversation, text messages back and forth. And uh, I wanted to bring some of those, at least some of those points uh, to light publicly. Just so have a discussion. What were your initial thoughts on Tyler Harrell? Well, first of all, uh, even though I can be a tad negative compared to to uh, the fans that are convinced that this is Jameson Williams, the sequel, uh, and, and I don't mean to be negative in any way, because this I think this is a stroke of genius. I think he is ideal for what Alabama needs. Uh, I'm intrigued as heck by how good this kid might be. I, I'm really fascinated at almost the, the laboratory experiment of Louisville's fifth leading receiver in terms of receptions, uh, transferring to Alabama and then potentially catching 45 balls and being, you know, you know, fifth in the sec. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by how this might play out. Uh, you know, we always talk about as recruiting guys, ceiling and upside His ceiling is limitless. His upside is limitless. This kid is, crazy fast he's also not small i mean he's he's a he's a decent sized speed demon uh from what i could tell i think the talk of 40 times is ridiculous just just watch the tape from what i could tell he is at least as fast as jameson williams which is insane fast uh so i'm intrigued by this i'm 100 behind it supportive happy have him here i just hit the brakes when it comes to the jameson williams comparisons just simply because this is a completely different story this isn't the same story and it's not the same kid if you watch the tape now that's going to be subjective and everybody can watch the tape and have an opinion but just i mean jameson williams was like a five-star that was recruited by everybody in the country including alabama and he goes to if not the best wide receiver room in the country in Tuscaloosa, the second best one in, in, in Ohio State, which became the best one. And he not and he plays right away. He plays in their biggest games. He plays in the national championship game. He just doesn't play ahead of Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, two guys who are going to be top 15 picks in the draft Thursday. He got frustrated. He, he wasn't catching more balls because of two top 15 picks ahead of him. And he's like, you know what, I, I, I'm going to go to my second choice out of recruiting, the other best program in the United States, and I'm going to be their wide receiver number one. And when I watched his tape, Clint, I told anybody and everybody that, that talked to me via text or wherever I was posting or tweeting at the time, 
this is our wide receiver number one. I, I thought that after watching his highlight tape at Ohio State. I'm like, Alabama doesn't have anybody on the roster, including Mechie, who's as gifted as this guy, and he will be our wide receiver number one. Uh, and again, super highly recruited out of high school, lived up to the hype in college, and is now going to be a top 15 pick in the NFL draft. Tyler Harrell's, uh, Harrell's story is nothing like that. Nothing like that. He was a three-star only because the services give three stars to everybody that gets offers. His best offer was Louisville, his only Power Five offer. He only had some Belt and Conference USA offers. And it's not because he wasn't fast. He was just this fast in high school. He was a track guy. He was learning to play football and could only get Sunbelt and Conference USA schools interested in teaching him how to play at the time. Then he goes to Louisville, and I know I said he was fifth in receptions. That He was fifth in receptions, Clint, in year four. You know, Jamison left after just two seasons at Ohio State. You know, last year was this kid's fourth season out of high school football. And he's been draft eligible for two drafts and does not have an NFL draftable grade. Whereas if Jamison came out of Ohio State, entered the draft after sophomore year, he probably gets drafted, not because of his production, but because he's been playing at Ohio State. He was third in line behind Olave and Wilson. I'm just saying, Jamison was polished. He's ready to go. He showed up Alabama's best wide receiver. Tyler is still what I would call, even in year four, a bit of a project. And by that, I mean, we haven't seen his best football yet. He, he's going to have to improve. He's going to have to improve as a blocker, as a route runner with his hands. He's going to have to learn to play wide receiver at the SEC level. So th that that's why I bristle at the, well, we just signed Jamison all over again. This is a completely different story. Now, can the kid end up as good as Jamison? Well, yeah. I, I mean, he's, he certainly has the raw speed and the size to be an impactful NFL player. He just has to improve to get there. That improvement could happen very quickly at a place like Alabama. It's the best developmental program in the country. He goes up against NFL defensive backs. He has expert coaching from the head coaching on down, the, the, the strength and development. Uh, every, everything is in place for Tyler to become as good as he can be. And I think in terms of number of balls caught among the wide receivers, he'll end up around our fourth leading receiver which is huge that's huge that means he's a starter that means he's with the first rotation it means he's playing in the first quarter of the first game but the fans out there that are like you know thinking that they're going to see Tyler Harrell catch 1400 yards worth of balls maybe win the Bolitnikoff and be the first receiver taken in the draft that's just that's just not going to happen yeah I think we're on the same wavelength uh, overall now where, where I would probably disagree would be from a target share standpoint Tyler Harrell was actually third on the team in targets so fifth in receptions third in targets and the reason that there's a discrepancy there is the way that he was used a lot lower percentage when you're going deep balls right 20 plus yard passes you're going to have a lower percentage of catches and that's just how he was used and the way that I think he compares to Jamison Williams is not necessarily one thing about Jamison is not only it wasn't just about what he did for himself, which was the part that I think surprised me more than anything. It was what he did for others, his presence and what it did for others, how it opened up the short to intermediate passing game a lot for Alabama, the way that defenses had to play the Alabama offense with him in the lineup. You know, you saw the effects of it when he went out against Georgia. Georgia could play a lot more compact. They didn't have to worry about giving a ton of attention to them getting beat over the top and it condensed everything and it made Bryce Young's job a whole lot more difficult especially when you combine that with a pass rush that was getting after him it was kind of an impossible task for Bryce Young at that point no protection and you don't have you know a defense uh, one of the historically good defenses in college football didn't have to worry about a deep threat and really be getting spread out and having to worry about getting beat deep that's one thing that I think Tyler Harrell is going to add to Alabama's offense is that teams defenses are going to have to take into account. We've got to make sure that this guy's not beating us deep. I don't necessarily know that he's going to be Jamison Williams where it's like, even when you're accounting for that, he's still going to beat you deep. Or if it's just something that teams have to respect, he doesn't do it at nearly as high of a rate 
but it's not just opening up the, the short term intermediate passing game. The reason, in my opinion, going back and watching some Louisville tape that they decided to use him in that way, they didn't ask him to do a whole lot more. Is it that he's not capable? Maybe. But I think more so, watch some of his tape, I think he is capable of a little bit more than he was asked to do in Louisville's offense. What's going to happen? Not only does it open up, you know, having that vertical threat, it's going to open up the short to intermediate passing game, but it's also pulling defenders deep. When you have a dual threat quarterback that rushes for over a thousand yards like Malik Cunningham, it opens up. There's not as many defenders to make tackles, if he, especially if he's able to get past the first wave of defenders. So I think you pull guys deep and then you allow your quarterback to run. They weren't really interested in targeting him a ton because I don't think Malik Cunningham is a great deep ball throw. He's, he's okay at it. I think he's better than he's given credit for, but he's not. I wouldn't say he's an elite player in that area. And so I don't think Louisville expected him to do that a ton. I think the entire role of Tyler Harrell, even though he was capable of doing a lot more, and he was fine with it because he still went for over 500 receiving yards. He still averaged 30 yards a catch. He still led the team in touchdown receptions because they would get that big pop play and put that skill set on display. But it's just he was never going to get the targets that he needed. I mean, Jamison Williams, I think, got 32 targets of 20 yards or more and Tyler Harrell got 20 so he almost got you know he got 12 more targets and if you would have you know his his averages if you would have kind of expanded that on yards of 20 plus yards or more his numbers would have been very comparable to a Jamison Williams if he just would have gotten more targets but he didn't so I think you know it's like I said the most surprising part about Jamison Williams when he got to Alabama was not only was he able to add that vertical element which we all knew he'd be able to he could do all the little things. You know, I think he was a much better route runner than I gave him credit for. He could turn, you know, the, the quick slant into long gains, you know, break tackles. He was a, a, just, he was a much more complete receiver. He's, he's not perfect. I think by far his best skill set or asset is his vertical speed, but he did all those other things, the nuances of playing the position at a much higher level on a much more consistent level than I thought he would be able to coming into Tuscaloosa. And that's where I was the most shocked. So I do think that Tyler Harrell is going to be a very important part of the offense. But it's like I said on Twitter, putting Jamison Williams' expectations on him, I think is a little bit unfair. And I think fans need to be more so looking at it as what is he going to do for other players? How is his presence going to open it up for other guys to have more success, which is something that Jamison Williams certainly did as well. Yeah, all great points, all great points. And I agree, we're going to see a better Tyler uh, Harrell at Alabama than we saw at Louisville. He's going to be a better player. He's going to be used more smartly, I think. And, and it's just the difference between Malik Cunningham and, and Bryce Young is vast. And I'm a Malik Cunningham fan. I mean, I, I think that kid's a good player. He's a good player in the normal sense of what a good college football quarterback is. Bryce Young is otherworldly. That's why he might be the very first pick in the whole draft. Uh, but, but playing with Bryce, with Alabama surrounding talent, being used more smartly, uh, like you said, Clint, and that's exactly what he brings to the table that I'm most excited about is it changes the the face of the offense. I I mean, it's going to make Jermaine Burton a better player. It's going to give more room to Jameer Gibbs in the run game. It's going to give more room to Bryce Young with his legs because now we can truly spread the field. Uh, with an experienced player, not just, you know, we got some freshmen that can run sort of like Tyler. I mean, Aaron Anderson's super fast. Bond is going to be super fast. Uh, we got other fast guys, but they don't have his experience. Uh, I noted in the Louisville highlight tapes I was watching, uh, he was doing some of his damage against Clemson, against Florida State, uh, NC State. I mean, there there were some some good college football players he, he, he was running past. I mean, uh, it wasn't just non-conference games or garbage games. And uh, again, uh, I I think Burton will lead the team in receptions myself. Uh, I still remain super high on JoJo Earl, despite what we saw uh, a day. I think JoJo Earl might have the second most receptions. And I think the third most receptions could be Tyler. It could be him. It could be Ja'Cory Brooks. It could be Treshawn Holden. It'll be one of those three guys, I think. So I don't mean at all to minimize what impact this will have on the team. It's a huge impact. I just won't agree with any Alabama fan that specifically compares him to Jamison Williams and thinks that this kid is Jamison Williams. I I think that's unfair to Tyler and unfair to Jamison, and it's apples and oranges, two 
two completely different stories. He doesn't have to be Jameson Williams to do all these things that you point out that he's going to do for us. He doesn't have to be Jameson. He just has to be Tyler, and he has improved our offense just with his presence. And is he going to make some big plays? Oh, hell yes. He He's going to make a lot of big plays. I, I would say he's might be like Gibbs, one of these guys that's a good bet to make at least one jaw-dropping play every week. I completely agree with that. Yeah. And, and, and I would more so, you know, I, I think the way that if you look, I would say 2019, the receivers that Alabama had in 2019, I'm saying the talent level. I mean, obviously they had four first round receivers, but you remember how Jalen Waddle was technically wide receiver four. He had only, he only had like 35 or something catches. He barely had over 500 yards receiving. He had six touchdowns. Now, I think that Tyler Harrell will obviously average more yards per catch. Maybe he doesn't even have that many catches. I could see him actually putting up very similar stats to what he did at Louisville. Maybe instead of 18 catches, 25 catches, and maybe, you know, getting over 600 yards and maybe getting seven or eight touchdowns, or maybe it stays around six because there's a lot of mouths to feed in that Alabama offense. But I think that it was Jalen Waddle, everybody could look. And even though he wasn't, you know, he was fourth on the team in receptions and fourth on the team in receiving yards and fourth on the team in receiving touchdowns, they all could watch him and say he's a very important element to Alabama's offense. It's just they had three first-round talents, you know, and he was a first-round talent as well, but he was just a year younger. That, that they So they had three first-round talents who had more experience than him who were a much kind of bigger part um, or at least more consistent usage part of the offense, but Waddle opened up a lot for those other guys as well. I think when you look at, you know, the way that teams and defenses schemed, I think Waddle was a guy that they definitely paid attention to. And I think that that is where, you know, Tyler Harrell's not going to see receive the same amount of targets or same kind of usage, but it's one guy that I think that they're adding that every time a defensive coordinator or a group of defensive coaches sit down to game plan against Alabama's offense, they're going to say, watch this guy, watch this Harold guy, because he can be a problem. We got to make sure we're limiting, you know, how they're able to utilize him because, you know, we can play and, and we want to be able to give up, you know, four or five yards to this Alabama offense. It's very hard to stop them. It's try, really trying to limit what you allow them to do. You know, we'll give up these shorter chunks. We can't get beat over the top and let them come out for a two-play drive and hit a 60-yard touchdown to Harrell and completely take the top off. You know, that's the kind of thing you want to try to limit. And Jameson Williams did that a lot. What did that those big plays do for Alabama's offense? Early in a lot of the games last year, Alabama's offense was stagnant. It wasn't clicking on all cylinders early in some of these games. You know, Jameson Williams would typically have a drop, you know, on some kind of shorter pass early in the game. And then the next drive, he hits a big pop play. And here, here we go. You know, the Alabama offense is rolling. And so it was a momentum changer for the offense. It really was kind of the, the spark in a lot of football games. Tyler Harrell can be that in some of these football games, having that ability of if defense. And here's the other aspect of it, too. Think about last year. I think Jace McClellan was going to be a very good receiving back. I think Roy Dale Williams is okay at it. I think that Brian Robinson Jr. is okay at it. He's got reliable hands. He's just not going to be a guy who's going to churn out a lot of yardage after the catch. When we talk about, you know, carrying defenders deep and making them respect that deep ball, it opens up for the short to intermediate stuff. It opens up for the quarterback run, even though I don't think Bryce is going to exploit that to the same degree as, you know, Malik Cunningham did. But for a guy, one thing that Alabama didn't have last year was this dynamic receiving back like Jameer Gibbs, who, you know, imagine Tyler Harrell clearing out, you know, defenders and then hitting Jameer Gibbs with a swing pass and allowing him to make one defender miss. And now here we go. It's a 15, 20-yard gain, if not more. Those are going to be the kind of things that you see a lot. And Tyler Harrell will have a, a place and a role in helping those things. And NFL teams will see that as well. So I think that it's the perfect fit. I just don't think he's going to be putting up 1,500 receiving yards and 14 or 15 touchdowns, and that's totally okay. Shifting a little bit, you know, same position, because I do want to talk about this as well. Alabama typically, I mean, when have you really seen them outside of injuries? Like last year, you know, John Mechie goes down, Jamison Williams goes down. You end up seeing, you know, obviously Jamison Williams got, you know, kicked out of the Auburn game or ejected from the Auburn game. So you had other players get more snaps in those instances. But Alabama typically has kind of kept it to about four receivers at max. Last year, I think the offense really was run through two guys in the passing game. When I say two guys, two receivers. You know, you also had Cameron Latou in the red zone and other players. But as far as target share, receptions, 
it was more so two, and then you had the complimentary Slade Bolden three, and then you get other players involved. Before, you know, we've seen three receivers. We've seen four. Right now, I'm looking at six players, and I think that maybe Aaron Anderson's one based off of 8A usage, where you say, okay, maybe he's not as far along as we thought. Not because, you know, he didn't have a great performance in that game, because I, I, it was tough conditions, but it was more so he wasn't even he wasn't even with the first team, second team, right? That was Christian Leary in the slot. And you didn't see Aaron Anderson until later. So right now you got Jermaine Burton, you got Corey Brooks, JoJo Earl, you now have, you know, uh, Tyler Harrell, you got Treshawn Holden. You're, and then when you throw in Aaron Anderson, that's six guys that maybe could see reps. And that's not even including all of them. That's just the, the six that you could say, hey, I mean, I could see all those guys being involved. What are your thoughts on how the snap share goes, how the target share goes? with this receiving group because there's so many different options. Well, maybe I'm seeing it this way just because it's the easiest way to see it. But I just sort of look at the receiving. There's 12 guys now that are, that are slated to be on scholarship this fall, 12. Um, five of them are true freshmen, uh, you know, highlighted to me by Aaron Anderson just because he went through the spring. That should theoretically put him ahead of uh, everyone but Kendrick Law because he, he's practiced with the team 15 times. Now, we saw last year JoJo Earl sh- showed up in the summer and jumped ahead of freshman receivers who were there in the spring. But I, I still look at Aaron Anderson as, as the top candidate among the freshman group to get into the first rotation. But there are now seven receivers on the team who are not true freshmen. There are seven guys who have played to some extent or another. Uh, and and I'm going to look at those guys first to see if they can fill out a rotation. Those seven guys, one is Burton. I think we both feel he'll be wide receiver one in terms of the most target, the most targets, the most receptions, the leading receiver, sort of the Mechie role from a year ago, but I would say Mechie role expanded in the sense that there's probably not a Jamison Williams. There's probably not a 1B. I I think it's just Jermaine Burton uh, is the go-to guy and he'll catch the most balls for the most yards. Uh, number two to me uh, is JoJo Earl. He started SEC games. Uh, we know he's impressed the heck out of the staff. He was uh, uh, playing with the ones immediately last fall in the games. And now this season starts. Who's who's a first-team receiver, practice one all the way through practice 15, JoJo Earl? It's just that the fans didn't see a lot of production from him last fall, and then he has some drops in A-Day. So – I, I think it's still the coaches are more excited about him than the fans are, but that'll change after he makes a couple of plays and gets some confidence. I, I see him being in the first rotation for sure. That's two. Uh, Treshawn Holden was basically in the first team rotation last year. He's a year older. He was with the ones this spring. I'm hard time believing he won't be with the ones. We know Ja'Cory Brooks, who wasn't here this spring, but he played a big role down the stretch as a true freshman. We know what he did in the Auburn game. Hard to believe he's not with the ones. And then you just bring in Tyler Harrell, uh, who was, you don't bring in a portal guy to build long-term depth. Uh, you bring him in to play a role with the ones. So that's, uh, that's five uh, right there. Uh, and I'm not even including Leary, who I think could make a run at the first team this fall. Uh, and, and I'm going off a day as that, like he looked, like a first team rotation guy to me. Uh, And the only other veteran I'm not counting, uh, Theo Theo Jones Bell, Uh, you know, uh, Theo Theo Jones Bell has been there for a while and is yet to really crack the first rotation. And I've seen no evidence this spring that he will do that this fall. So I'm going five guys, Clint. I I think five guys will be with the first team. And if there is a sixth one, I'm going to say it's Leary over Aaron Anderson on experience. Uh, so if there's six, the sixth one is Leary, but I think there's five Burton, Jojo Earl, uh, Tyler Harrell, Treshawn Holden and Ja'Cory Brooks. I think those five guys play almost all the first team snaps. And those are the guys we depend on while the game is in doubt. And then once the game is no longer in doubt, then you see Leary and a couple of those freshmen, including Aaron Anderson. Yeah. Um, Man, I have a hard time with it, man. And the thing about Leary to me, what's more exciting to me 
because I got really excited about the performance, and I thought, you know, this guy was winning vertically from the slot. That's something Jamison Williams did quite a bit, and I think that adds such a wrinkle and a dynamic because, you know, a lot of your vertical wins downfield are going to be on the perimeter, but when you can bring that from the slot, you got a much different player. You got a, a, a Brian Branch or a Malachi Moore type of player covering you rather than a perimeter corner that's used to playing deep and is used to being able to win contested catches down the field. And so I think it, if you got a guy who can win from the slot, and that's why they put Jamison Williams in the slot quite a bit. And if you go back and watch a lot of his, you know, downfield success, um, I wouldn't say the majority of it, but, you know, a lot of it was from the slot. And so I was very impressed with that. But I, what excited me the most about his performance, I had to remind myself, this is John Mechie. This is, this is a Jai Hall. I'm not saying that he's a bust like a Jai Hall. It was at Alabama or anything like that. But I'm saying this was against second-team defenders. You know, he, he did look, you know, really good, but I had to keep in context, you know, would he have done this against Brian Branch or, you know, someone like that? So that's something to at least keep in mind. But I, what I was most excited about was his chemistry with Jalen Milrow. And that's more of a 2023 thing, even right. though when you look, I mean, Brooks is only going to be a sophomore. Earl's only going to be a sophomore. Treshawn Holden can be back. I don't see him forcing him leaving early for the NFL. Aaron Anderson's going to be you know, a freshman this year. So he'll hundred percent be back. Jermaine Burton, he might leave early, but he's only going to be a junior, you know, Tyler Harrell, I think is, you know, how old is Tyler Harrell? He's only got one more year, correct? Well, he's a, uh, he played four. he was at Louisville for four seasons, which makes him a quote fifth year senior. But because one of those years was 2020, which didn't count against anyone, he actually has two seasons uh, that, uh, of college football that he can play. So he, he could play this season and next, uh, <laughs> I don't think Alabama fans should assume he would be here both years, though. See, and that, that's kind of the thing. I mean, theoretically, all of these receivers that we're talking about at the top could be back, every one of them. Um, that means they're going to be. In fact, if Jermaine Burton has the kind of season we expect him to, um, yeah. you know, even if he's a, a day two pick, you know, he might be a John Mechie type where he kind of knows he's probably going on day two, but he's comfortable with that because he doesn't really see his ceiling getting any higher from the athletic profile. Because right. NFL teams love the athletic stuff, man. It uh, doesn't matter how reliable you are. Your ceiling is only going to be so high. So I, w- I could see him leaving after this year, and I could see, you know, maybe one of these guys transferring out that's looking for more targets and more opportunities on offense that maybe was a part of the rotation. I don't know. It could look different next year. But if Christian Leary can find his way into the lineup next year with Jalen Milrow, the expected starter, wouldn't count out Ty Simpson just yet, but just the most encouraging part of Christian Leary's A-Day performance was just him and, and Jalen Milrow are on the same wavelength, and he loves and he trusts this guy. And so that, I thought, was pretty um, encouraging. And, you know, JoJo Earl, see, right now, I, I wasn't super high on him because he didn't enroll early last year. I liked his long-term talent. I just didn't think he would really contribute a ton as a freshman. Then he proved me wrong. He gets in the lineup, you know, as an or starter for the first game of the season. That was shocking to me, and I jumped on the the bandwagon very quickly. He had some drops and didn't perform well in those first few games. Then he gets banged up. And then, of course, he had that highlight play that I shared on Twitter, you know, from practice that kind of got leaked from one of the scrimmages. Very shifty guy. When you When you get the ball in his hands, he becomes a huge problem. The problem is getting the ball in his hands consistently. And right. 8A, I mean, it was wet. The conditions, I mean, you can make excuses, and they would be justifiable excuses, but they're still excuses. And, you know, last year we saw some drop issues. We saw some drop issues in the 8A game. Nick Saban's talked about how the receivers need to be more consistent and drops were an issue throughout the spring. I would assume, based off of what I do know that I did see with my own eyes, that JoJo Earl has been a, a part of those drop issues. And so that's something that he's got to be able to clean up. Jamison Williams, he was money for one drop pretty much every game. But then he would completely torch you for the rest of the game. And if JoJo Earl can do that, great. Alabama fans and the coaching right. staff and everybody else will gladly take the drop. But if it's a consistent issue where you can't – Bryce Young can't trust you on third and six. You know, he wants to go to you because you're the open guy, but he doesn't trust you because you're not consi- you're not bringing in the football consistently enough. That's a problem. And that's a guy that you can't have on the field in those moments where you need the trust. And I'm not saying that that is the issue. I, I'm only working with pieces of the puzzle. But just from what I've seen and what Nick Saban has said, I'm cautious with JoJo. I want to love him. I want to think he's going to be a huge part of the offense. 
I just don't, you know, I need to see it. I need to see more consistency with the hands and just become that reliable target that you need to. I think Ja'Cory Brooks, he was reliable when called upon. I think everybody struggled in the national title game, so that is a part of the the puzzle as well, but I don't necessarily consider that or, or you know, include that. At other points in the season when they needed clutch moments, Ja'Cory Brooks came up big for him, kind of like Devontae Smith did his freshman year, and then he continued to evolve into that role and became that guy. And so we'll see. Um, but the receivers are just very interesting to me, the entire group. I don't know. The offensive line, because Tyler Steen is now in the fold, that was uh, we knew Alabama had the pieces, right? It was figuring out, okay, how is the two deep going to shake out? Where are these guys going to line up? And I think from the two deep standpoint, in a lot of ways, I, I feel fairly confident that I could get pretty darn close right now, guessing yeah. Alabama's too deep on their offensive line for 2022. So I think a lot of those questions have been answered. The receivers is the same thing where you know they have all the pieces that they need, but it's just knowing the pecking order, who's going to be lining up where, who's going to be doing what, how often are they going to get targeted. Those are the things that I can't really tell you, and that's something that we got to just kind of wait on. It's a similar situation to how we felt about the offensive line going into the spring, but I don't think fans should be concerned because I love the pieces that they have in play. So, Jimmy, Anything else on the receivers or really just the offense in general, if you want to expand it, just things that you saw in the spring, things that have you excited or things that have you concerned. What are your thoughts on the offense? I still think even after seeing the, his big play and winning a day MVP, that some, some of the fans still don't get how good Jameer Gibbs is and what he's going to mean to the offense. Uh, I, I, I think, I think Gibbs is fantastic. And he's going to be a huge, huge part of things uh, as a kick returner, as a pass receiver out of the backfield, and almost thirdly as just a, a running back who runs the ball. Uh, and he's still going to be really good at that. Uh, so I'm excited about the running back group as a whole, spearheaded, spearheaded by Gibbs. Uh, I'm fine with the tight end group. I, I know there's rumors that we're interested in a tight end out of the portal. I'm still not 100% certain that that's, the case, or at least in terms of the rumored name, I, I've not been able to confirm that. I, I, I'm not sure that's true, uh, but but I do think Alabama may continue to look at the portal tight end wise. But even if they don't, I like what we have at tight end. I like Latu as a starter. I like Kendall Randolph as a guy that's going to come in on the goal line. I like Amari Black as a guy who might earn a role as a move tight end uh, and, and give Alabama an additional weapon. And then, then when you need some blocking and you want to give uh, Latu a break, uh, Robbie Oost can come in and, and, in my opinion, uh, replace Latu easily as a blocker. I think he might be just as good as Cameron in that role. So I like the tight end group, love the running back group. Of course, quarterback, not only is Bryce Young the best quarterback in the U.S., uh, I, I think the spring showed we have the best depth we've had since the Tua Jalen Mack room. Uh, I think we can win with Milrow. I think we can even win with Ty Simpson. Uh, I love what we're doing at quarterback. It's just questions at wide receiver and questions on the offensive line. And it was those two groups, Clint, that kept us from winning a national championship uh, last fall. When we lost our two best receivers, we just didn't have a playmaker outside to depend on. The offensive line uh, had its bad games. But I would like to point out that had Jamison not been injured, that offensive line we used last season was good enough to win the national championship. We proved it in, in the Indianapolis that we could have won the national championship with that offensive line, but it does have to get better. And uh, I, I, I think there was some strides this spring bringing in Tyler Steen is big, but uh, it just remains almost to me like how it was at the end of last season on offense, which is like there are pieces of the best offense in, 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 in America that we're putting on the field, but question marks at wide receiver question marks in the offensive line. Uh, can, if Alabama wins the national championship, Clint, it will be because we overcame those questions or answered them positively enough. It's probably not going to be some super strengths either unit, but it doesn't have to be just, just doesn't have to be such a liability that we can't beat an elite team because of, uh, but I, I don't think that will be the case. I, I left the spring very optimistic that this could be one of Saban's best teams. Yeah. One thing that I got the question a lot about following the spring game 
or I got the comment about, and some of that was on Twitter. Some of it was, you know, personal text messages and it was, you know, same old offensive line. I can't keep Bryce young protected. Uh, you know, it's still a major question mark and a major concern. And my response, you know, I can be kind of a smart aleck. Um, it's, it's just, you know, I don't mean to be a jerk, but it kind of, people jump to so many conclusions and they don't even add their own context. It's not just adding context for others. It's putting things into perspective for yourself. So you mean to tell me that an offensive line that struggled last year, three months after the season concluded, after losing by far its best offensive lineman and another starting offensive lineman in, in Chris Owens, two guys that are going to be at least attempting to get into the NFL. One of them is going to be a top five, top 10 pick come Thursday. They lose both those guys. They have two other potential starters, one almost a guaranteed starter in Emil Ikior Jr., another who started 11 games last year in Darian Dalcourt. You got those two guys that are out. You don't have a guy who you expect to be your starting left tackle, even on campus yet, in Tyler Steen. And that group of players going against the best pass rush in the country, maybe potentially ever, the best ever. collective group of pass rushers ever, they struggled? I'm, I'm shocked. I don't see how... I mean, and so that's what I keep trying to tell people is give it. First of all, they're not going to face a single pass rush next year. That is even going to be half of what they saw in the A-Day game with Aaron, with, uh, with Will Anderson and Chris Braswell and Dallas Turner. And then you got Jamil Burroughs being a complimentary interior pass rusher and causing havoc. And the guy who he was creating all that issues, you know, for, for Bryce Young against was a guy who's not even going to expect it to be a starter in, in Damian George. It's, it should be Emil Ikior Jr., so it's like, I mean, not only that, they don't have their offensive line settled. They got some pieces. Yes, J.C. Latham struggled a little bit. Absolutely. He just started playing tackle again. He just started playing in space against the SEC competition consistently again. You know, he'd been playing in a phone booth and trying to learn to work on his power and his ability to, to sit down and anchor uh, rather than, you know, having to play in space and work on his pass sets and do all those things. He's still making the transition. He's still a talented player. It's a matter of getting the consistency down. It's the, the, the unit learning to, to work together. There's a reason that Amari Kite is, you know, what, going into his fourth season, and you got Kendall Randolph going into his, what, sixth season? Yeah. And neither one of them have broken the first-team lineup with a starting offensive line. Maybe one of them has played in Kendall Randolph, and you saw a little bit of Amari Kite, but there's a reason that those are, like, fourth- and six-year players, and, and they've had a hard time breaking the lineup. You mean to tell me that, that those guys in A-Day yeah. struggled against the best pass rusher in the country, maybe the best player in the country, Will Anderson? I'm shocked. I mean, it's just like, just put it into context for yourself and understand that what you saw on Saturday does not automatically mean what they were hoping is that they would be able to hold up and you would see some sort of improvement. And I just, I didn't really expect to see a whole lot based off the conditions. Um, I really didn't. I was more so, and I told people, I'm more so focused on the individual performances. How does a guy like Seth McLaughlin look? How does a guy like, you know, JV and Cohen look? How does a guy like JC Latham look? Not the offensive line collectively, and all three of those guys struggled. And that's something to kind of write down a little bit, but I also got to put it in context on who they were going against. So don't freak out. It, it's fun. I think they're going to be fun. There will probably be some growing pains. It's going to take a while for that, you know, unit to become a unit and become cohesive. That's fun. Just, you know, they got Utah State first. That will be a great chance for them to get in a live game situation, work some things out, and I think that Alabama will be just fine. Don't think they're going to have an elite offensive line, one of the best of all time, but I do think it's going to be improved from last year, and just because they, did, they didn't look like it on A day doesn't mean that you need to be freaking out. As far as the tight end is concerned, very quickly, I'm with you, and we talked about this through text. For me, and I could be completely wrong here, and if I'm wrong, never have an issue admitting when I'm wrong. Adding a guy, a headliner, through the transfer portal doesn't make much sense to me. Nick Saban said they need more bodies there. They need more depth at that position. They're getting some depth in the summer when two of their tight ends that they signed are going to be arriving on campus in Danny Lewis and Amari Black. Does that mean that I think that, that they're completely out of the running for adding a transfer portal player? No. Do I think that if a guy like Dalton Kincaid wanted to come over from Utah, and and play for Alabama. Do I think Alabama will say, no, I think we're good. No, they might take him even if they like kind of where they're at with their, their top two. Maybe it could be a Jalen Moody, Henry Toe situation where a lot of fans thought Moody had earned the right 
to be higher on the depth chart and become a starter. Alabama saw a chance to add a very valuable, very good player in Henry Tooto, and they accepted that. And a lot of fans were upset. I can remember one fan in particular who I no longer interact with uh, on Twitter being very, very upset about it. And it's like, you could have that situation, but right now it's like, you saw what Cameron Latou did. I think you continue to rely on him. They bragged on Robbie Utes all throughout the spring. They like his development. I think he's shown a lot of progress, like his ability as, as tight end too. You like your top two guys, and then you're going to bring in another guy and shift them both down to your depth chart, or you're going to bring the, or that guy wants to come to Tuscaloosa to be the tight end two or tight end three. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Tyler Harrell made a lot of sense. He added a wrinkle and an element to Alabama's offense at a position where we're very unsure about at tight end. It's not really unsure about the, 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 the starters. It's more so questions about the depth and getting more bodies there. So I'm just, I'm not on board that train. I'm not going to hop on it. If it happens, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about what Kincaid can bring to Alabama's offense. You know what? And I, I went and watched, you know, some of his film just to get a little bit ahead on it, but I, I'm not of this, belief right now that oh i 100 percent think it's going to happen if you were to ask me right now do you think it happens or it doesn't i would say i don't i personally don't think it's going to but we'll see and i'll admit that i'm wrong if i'm wrong the kid's not even in the portal to my knowledge unless he's in there right now i mean he wasn't in there last night or this morning to my knowledge uh so he's not even in the portal and if he is uh, again i i would not i was I'm not going to be surprised if Alabama signs a tight end out of the portal. I won't be surprised. I, I hear that that's and not not was part of the Kincaid rumors. I, I don't really believe those, but no rumors from that I hear from more like inside the program. I, I do believe they would consider uh, a, a tight end, the right one, whatever they feel is the right one. Uh, but I, I don't like you, Clint. I'm, I'm with you, Hunter. I don't I don't see that it's needed. I, I, I think Alabama can win a championship based on what that tight end room looks like right now. Now, I know they say they need more bodies, and it's true, this spring, they only had, in terms of scholarship players, Latu, Robbie Oost, and a true freshman in Elijah Brown, who may not be as ready as the other two freshman tight ends that are coming in this summer. So I think you are adding the freshman bodies. You're also probably adding Kendall Randolph to the room, probably. Right. Uh, that's my part, but I think it's an educated guess. I, I think there's a good chance. So if Randolph's coming back to the tight end room and you like Oost as a blocker, seems to me you got three dependable blockers there. And, and, and you're adding Nye Black, uh, Black, you know, as a receiver. And, and Latu can catch the ball. He led the whole SEC in, in touchdowns. So we know Latu is an adequate pass receiver. Now, Black has a lot more upside, a lot more ceiling. Uh, unproven, yes. I don't like depending on a freshman. I think if they're looking at the portal, it's this reason. I, I think if they're looking at the portal, it's because of that, Clint. And, and and again, I don't support it. I'm with you. I, I think it's just leave it alone. But I could see an argument that, hey, if we're saying our second best receiving option is a freshman that hadn't even been on campus yet or played in the SEC game yet, I think we need to bring somebody in. I, 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 I get that. That makes several levels of sense to me. I'm just, I guess in the end, I just have a lot of confidence in Cameron Latu. I, I, I think he is a good, good player. He's not a first-round pick. He's not O.J. Howard as, as, in terms of an explosive athlete. But I think in terms of a guy who can block and catch, I think he can do both adequately. And, and it's hard to find that guy. Usually, unless you have a freak, usually a tight end's going to be really good at one and terrible at the other. Uh, he's either a great catcher and a bad blocker or a really good blocker and not so good a re receiver. And, and, and if people don't believe that's true, just this morning I was going over uh, on NFL Network, the, the, the top tight end prospects in this draft. I mean, a guy from Colorado State is going to be the first tight end taken. And if he's not the first tight end taken, a guy from UCLA will be. That dude was a walk-on. A walk-on yep. at UCLA uh, may be the first tight end taken. And the third tight end is this dude, Isaiah Likely, from Coastal Carolina. You know, it, 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 it's not the, the Georgia guy, the Ohio State guy, the USC guy, the Notre Dame guy. True, a, a lot of those schools, by the way, have underclassmen tight ends who are good. I'm just saying that tight end's tough. It's hard to find a guy that does both things really well. I think Latu does both things adequately 
in and of itself, that makes him kind of a special player. And I'm right there with you. And that's, it's one of the big reasons it's like, granted, when you look at Kincaid and what he kind of adds and what I've been able to see and granted, I've went and dove into a lot of the, a lot of the entire game tape. I'm going to have a hard time finding actual film, you know, all 22 film and stuff like that, but just going through and seeing kind of what he can bring to the table for Alabama. Should, should they, should he enter the transfer portal, which is a big if right now, because I want to say they had a great one, two punch at tight end that, uh, that Brant Cooth or whatever his name was, he was there. And I think he entered the NFL draft or I think he was graduating and he was done, which tells me Kincaid's even going to be, have a bigger role in that Utah offense this year, if that's the case which kind of, you know, you got returning quarterbacks. You, you've had success in that offense. The team's expected to be really good. You might even have a bigger role than you did last year. You already had success. You're comfortable with that school. You've already transferred once. So it's like, why would, it, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's just not a whole, from his perspective, I don't necessarily know that he would transfer over. I mean, look at Eli Ricks. We all thought, I mean, this guy's definitely locked into a starting job when he first came over. And now, Granted, I still think he's going to start. I think you believe he's going to start. But yeah. Kyrie Jackson's doing some great things. Now he's in a competition. At LSU, there was no competition. When he got back on the field, he was going to be a bona fide guaranteed starter. It's possible, even though this Kincaid guy is really good and he's a balanced player. I think he blocks his tail off. I think that, you know, he's a great, you know, he's, he's very explosive. He catches everything that comes his way. Utah kind of lined him up all over the place. So, you know, he can play in line. He can be split out wide. Great red zone threat. So... In, in a lot of ways, he has some similarities to Cameron Latou. I just think he does a lot of that stuff better than Latou, but not enough where Alabama would be like, hey, we like you, Latou, but we're going to throw you. And I understand Alabama likes to use that two tight end role. They had Billingsley, they had Latou, and maybe that would be something, you know, if you got two balanced guys who can definitely catch the football and, and who can definitely block, then you don't have to have, you know, one thing they didn't get out of Billingsley in the national championship game was a guy that was willing to block, and that oh. hurt them. And so maybe they don't want that traditional move tight end that's only going to be able to catch, you know, essentially be a big body receiver. Maybe they want balance. I, I don't know. It, it, maybe they go after him. Maybe they don't. Maybe he enters the portal. Maybe he doesn't. But I think that Alabama's in a very good spot. And I also think that right now a lot of people are running with these rumors because the early initial rumors about Tyler Harrell ended up being true. Right. And that's got everybody overconfident. Because it's like, oh, yeah, we heard that early on that, you know, that guy wasn't even in the transfer portal yet. And we started hearing rumors that Alabama was going to be going after him. And then he entered the portal and then Alabama went after him and then he came to Alabama. So we're just going to, you know, it's the same thing with Kincaid. That's exactly what's going to happen. Two very different players, two very different situations. Kincaid was a huge part of Utah's offense. And I think that Tyler Harrell was an important part of Louisville's offense, but he wasn't heavily utilized. And Louisville is not going to be a playoff contender. They're not going to be a top 10 team. They're not going to be competing for a Rose Bowl appearance. Utah is. And also, he's already transferred once. So we'll just have to see what happens. I just wanted to, I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to talk about it a little bit. At least acknowledge the rumors. We talk about rumors on here. I know a lot of people try to avoid it. I hop on and I give my thoughts on it. Not do I think it's going to happen or I don't think it's going to happen necessarily. Like I'm going to tell you, oh, I'm buying into this rumor. It's more so, does it make sense? And for me, Harold made sense. Kincaid at this point really doesn't. But if Alabama adds him, it will add even more firepower to an already very good offense, and I think they'll be in pretty good shape. But, Jimmy, that's going to do it for today's episode. We've already gone for close to an hour. I knew we would. This is what happens when we take a little time off. But we'll be back tomorrow having our NFL draft discussion and having our NFL mock draft. And I think that'll be a lot of fun. We'll talk about a lot of these players. A lot of SEC guys, a couple of Alabama players. We'll also talk a little bit about best available when we're done. And hopefully that will allow us to cover a lot of the Bama players who are going to be coming up on day two. And so I'm looking forward to it, man. I appreciate you hopping on here with me today. I enjoyed it. Nothing better to talk about in the whole world. Thanks to everybody that listens. Thanks to everybody that subscribes to Bama on three. We're a growing site. Uh, we're doing exciting things. Our, our pal Joseph. Uh, Hastings, uh, he, it, the amount of recruiting content is insane. He's so good at that job. Uh, I joke all the time, uh, you know, heck, uh, you, you know, uh, Joseph is worth the price of the subscription. Forget me and Clint. Yeah. <laughs> worth the price of the subscription. <laughs> then you got me and Clint as gravy. So, uh, uh, yeah, jo join up if you haven't already. 
but uh, really appreciate everybody that uh, listens and supports us. And uh, we, we love doing the show for y'all. We really do. Yeah. And I understand that sometimes we go, you know, a little bit, you know, of time passes before we're able to hop back on here and, and have this discussion. And that's just part of it. We get busy. But once football season hits, I'll continue to reiterate, we'll become a lot more consistent with this really once we get into fall camp. There'll be a lot of updates that we got to cover and, and position battles that we're getting into the final points. And, you know, hopefully not any significant injuries that we got to talk about. But if that happens, there's just there will be news happening all the time once fall camp gets underway leading up to that first game against Utah State. And we'll also be starting to talk about a lot of the opponents on Alabama's schedule and, and some of the news that they got going on and maybe guys they lose for the, for the season or for a short, short period of time. So certainly looking forward to that. Certainly looking forward to the draft tomorrow, the mock draft that we're going to be doing, and then, of course, the actual draft on Thursday, starting on Thursday. And uh, we appreciate you guys listening in. Once again, this has been the Bam on 3 show. And I'm your host, Clint Lamb. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.